Welcome back to another episode of the West Michigan Soccer Show presented by Midwest United FC, where we talk all things soccer in our West Michigan community and the world beyond. I'm your host, John Kopko. We're excited to bring you a new episode this week that's a little bit different. We're going to run through some of the big soccer headlines from around the world's game this past weekend. I'm excited to be joined by Ben Robbins, who is a staff coach here at Midwest United FC. Ben, thanks for joining the show. Yeah, absolutely. How's it going? Good. I, I feel like we owe you a little bit of an apology. Way back in our very first episode, we <laughs> misidentified you as a Manchester City fan. Yeah. <laughs> which you're not. I know that's that's like a cardinal sin is yeah. somebody that can't defend themselves uh, supporting a club that they don't. So Yeah, no, we can us, I think we can just blame Lewis for that one. <laughs> tell us a little bit about who you support and how you yes. how you found your uh, supporting them. Yeah, that's yeah. Um so I'm a Liverpool fan. I'd like to get that out there, make sure everybody knows. Um, I, I know there's, I guess, a running joke around the club that I'm also a Brentford fan. Uh, Lewis likes to joke about that with me, um, which I, I sort of am. And there's a reason behind that too, which we can talk about maybe another day. But um, yeah, no, I've been a Liverpool fan since, gosh, like maybe, I mean, it's been at least 10 years. It's it, like probably 2013, 2014. Um, my earliest... Liverpool memories, I would say, were like the Brendan Rodgers era, you know. Um, I, I, I remember when he came in and and like Raheem Sterling was the most exciting teenager on the block in, in English soccer and um, was my favorite player for a while until he took the, the big money move to City. And that was really when City uh, blew up and started their big dynasty that they have now. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, I've followed them through. I, I think actually that was the year that the the Gerard slip happened, I think 2014. That was a painful year. Yep. I don't Is know. Right? I don't know if that's the exact year, but it's, yeah. it's it's probably in the ballpark. Yeah, somewhere around there. But yeah, no, I yeah, I've been a Liverpool fan for for a while, and I've seen them win it all uh, past couple of years, and I'm sad to see Klopp go here at the end of the season. Do you think that they're going to pull it out here in his in his last season send him off into the sunset with an EPL title I I sure hope so I am holding on to the hope that they might um I think that I think they're fully capable of doing it it's just currently with injuries and playing in multiple competitions you know it's like Europa League Premier League all, all the cups and all that stuff it's like the quadruple is possible it's still on the table and we'll see but uh yeah, I think it's entirely possible, you know. Um, it's just injuries might be an issue. Well, you've got one trophy down. You you guys beat Chelsea this past weekend in the Carabao Cup final. What did you think of that one? I oh, I mean, I have a lot of thoughts on it. <laughs> just, as a fan, um, just watching it, it, I mean, there are a lot of things that happened, a lot of VAR checks, a lot of goals disallowed for both sides, cards being given out all, all over the place. Um, I mean, it, yeah, just, just emotionally just draining. <laughs> That's all I'll say. You know, we'll talk about it more. Um, if you want to, you want to hint about that. Yeah. So we are, we're planning an episode, uh, a more in-depth breakdown from both a fan perspective and a soccer coach perspective of that Liverpool Chelsea Carabao cup final with Ben and our very own Cam Baker, who is big on soccer tactics. He's a big Chelsea fan as well. So he got the short end of the stick in that one. Uh, we're excited to to hear some of Cam's thoughts on that game. But anyway, enough of Liverpool for now. Like we said, we're going to chat a little bit more about Liverpool and Chelsea later in the week. The purpose of this episode is really just to run through some of the big soccer headlines from this past weekend. A lot of action both abroad in Europe and domestically here in the States. Why don't we stay over in Europe as we've just been talking about a little bit. Ben, what do you have? Some big headlines from, from European soccer this week. Yeah, um... I think this past weekend alone was I think just a just a really big weekend for for Americans in general. Um, I think if you look back at just like this entire season as a whole in in Europe, um, I think Americans have been pretty consistent. I think you can point at Pulisic and and McKenney and I th those are probably the two top top players I would say American players in Europe at least. Um, but just this past weekend alone, if if you look at all of the goals scored, all of the the happenings, so to say. Um, I, I think, yeah, I think a lot of the, a lot of the stars aligned, and a lot of uh, good things were happening for 
for a lot of our Yanks overseas. So um, if you want to get into it, we can jump right into it and start talking about some of the individuals. Yeah, let's hear it. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I already mentioned Weston McKinney. He had a, a great, great game this past uh, weekend against Frozen One, two assists, um, just absolutely dominating the middle of the field. And he's all over the place and his, his ability to, to distribute um, has really, really caught my eye. And both of his assists, if you watch it back, both of them are just absolutely incredible. And there was another game too previously this season for Juventus that he had where he also had two assists and both of them were just unreal 40, 50 yard passes or crosses in behind or, or um, yeah, just crosses to the back post. But he, he is absolutely tearing it up uh, in Serie A. Is he still kind of playing all over the place for Juve? I haven't really watched a ton of Syria. I see a little bit of the highlights, especially with more Americans joining Weston um, in the league. But is he? I know he's he was playing a little bit as at a wing back previously. Yeah, um, is, I, he, is he still kind of floating, or did he did he lock down a spot in the middle? He's, I think he's I think he's pretty much locked down the spot in the center of the field. They they've brought in a couple other players, like I know obviously Tim Weah, another American too. We can talk about, but um. He's he's sort of filled in as as that right wing back role, and um, I think Juan Cuadrado has had that right wing back role too. Um, but yeah, he's he's pretty much solidified in the middle of the field. I think that's his role, and and he's like I said, absolutely balling out um, with tons of assists left and right, scoring headers from from set pieces, and he's just dangerous. You know, he's he's doing very well. I feel like he's. He's always a guy where I feel like when he's on, he he can just impact the game in so many different ways. But then there's also times I'm watching him. He he looks like he doesn't fit at times. I I think well, I mean it's interesting. I I have I I would like to to compare him a little bit, and I know this might be a little bit of an overstatement. I'd like to compare him a little bit to Andre Pirlo and how how he would distribute the ball and sort of play as that deep lying um just distributor. I don't know what the the Italian word there is for that. Um, but yeah, I, I back to your point a little bit about like the different positions. I know he back when he played for Schalke like years ago, five plus years ago, he was all over the place, right? Playing right wing back, um, center back. I think sometimes as like a false nine, you know. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think he solidified that spot. But it, he's not really comparable to many other central midfielders, like like you mentioned, right? I, I think um, especially other American center midfielders like Tyler Adams. I know who's been out with, with an injury for a while, um, that, that dude just covers ground, right? Tyler Adams just runs and runs and runs, wins the ball, um, distributes and, and moves the ball forward and progresses the ball. But McKenney is, is more of a, like I said, like a deep line playmaker, right? Like he is spraying passes all over the field, uh, popping up in areas in, in the final third and, and playing into cross of the back post or, or even making the late run and finishing, finishing chances too. um, yeah, he's he's an interesting interesting player, you know, and obviously a very important player going forward for us in the twenty twenty six and and beyond. So, quite a few players on the score sheet this week. A couple new players, uh, or I shouldn't say new players, but players that are scoring their first goal with their with their clubs. Um, Balogun is back on the score sheet finally after I think a couple months of not scoring um, from Monaco. Uh, back to goal against Lens. Um, I watched the highlights of that one, and he. He's a very shifty player. He pops up in in um, the right place at the right time in in the inside the box and um, missed an absolute sitter against Lens earlier in the game. And then um, the goal that he did score against Lens, he absolutely diced up a, a right center back, uh, bodied him off the ball, was in one on one with the goalie, and and just finished well. And um, he's he's one obviously to look at in the future, possibly for uh, Copa America or for the Olympics. That's also still up in the air as to which which competition he gets sent to. Um, but also another, another player I want to highlight, like I said, scoring their first goal um, for their club is Chris Richards, 23 years old, uh, scoring his first goal for Palace. He's a center back. Um, I believe it was against Burnley that he scored that goal. And it was a great diving header back post. Um, I think it was a, it was a corner kick that was sort of recycled back and second, second ball back into the box. And he finished it well. And it was actually the goal to, to put them ahead one nil. So that was big for him. Um, another American getting their first goal for a club is, uh, Paxson Aronson, younger brother of Brendan Aronson, who, um, Brendan, of course, we know is at Union Berlin in, uh, in the Bundesliga, but, uh, Paxson Aronson has sort of flown under the radar a little bit. He was at, uh, Philly Union, of course, right? Came through their academy, um, got the big transfer over to Frankfurt in Germany and then was, was loaned out from Frankfurt to, um, 
I believe, yeah, Vitesse, right, in the in the Eredivisie and just got his first goal for Vitesse. Um, and he's looked really good, right? I've I've seen, like, sort of a real highlight reel put together from his first four games and his first four starts for Vitesse. And he looks like he fits right in, right? Um, I think the Eredivisie is a – it's a tough league. It's not one of the most premier leagues in, in Europe, right? But I'd say it's definitely top six or seven leagues, right, in, in Europe. And he's he's – 19, 20 years old, playing against grown men, right? Playing against men that have uh, made their career playing playing European football at, at the highest level in, in uh, the Netherlands. So, yeah, he looked really good, I thought, in his, his first four starts. So It'll be interesting to see the the parallel arcs of, of both Aronsons. You know, Brendan, Brendan kind of burst onto the scene with uh, Salzburg after he moved through the Philly Academy as well and earned that that move to Leeds in the Premier League. Didn't really kick on there for a number of reasons. I think he always struggled with the physicality, and it's something that I think the uh, Union Berlin director has even pointed out in recent weeks that he still needs to to be able to deal with the physicality of, of those leagues a little bit better. But he also got his first goal for Union Berlin, I think, two weeks or so ago. Yeah, and that ended ago. like a 61, I want to say it was 61-game goal drought which is a long one, especially of player in his attacking midfield position. But he, uh, he, he seems to be a, a consistent member of the, the national team picture still under Burhalter. So it'll be, it'll be good to see him get going a little bit and see if he can find some consistency in the Bundesliga. Um, and then it'll be interesting to see if, if Paxton kind of catches up to him and maybe even surpasses him in the next couple of years. Um, also, you know, fighting for some time in the, in the U.S. men's national team pool as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, I, I think, it, um, like you mentioned, sort of comparing both of them, both of them have like a similar build, right? Like you mentioned, I, I know the comments I saw too from uh, the Union Berlin coach about uh, like playing against men that are taller and stronger and bigger, right? And and that he's going to need to maybe put on some pounds in, in the weight room. Um, but that's, you know, I mean, in his role, you know, you wouldn't think that he would need to put on some, put on some muscle as a 10, you know, I mean, he's, He's a shorter and shiftier, quicker player, you know. Um, but at any level, in at the professional level in Europe, you're going to have to win the ball at some point, right? You're going to have to body some players off the ball and and get stuck in and put in a challenge. And and um, I would say neither of the the Aronson brothers are that is that's their strong suit, right? I'd say their strong suit is very much receiving the ball, progressing it down the field, and then off the ball, just pressing and running and running. And um, yeah, I, I think yeah, like you mentioned, the future is bright and. I think it would be exciting to see both of them in a in a national team camp together. That would be fun to see. Um, yeah. So I guess moving on a little bit, we can I guess stay in the Eredivisie uh, for our last or second to last player. Ricardo Pepe comes off the bench uh, for PSV and uh, scores against Zwolle. I believe it's the pronunciation, but they uh, they ended up winning seven one, which was quite the scoreline. Um, and then also to highlight uh, some of the other Americans for PSV too, they played last week. Uh, Tuesday, I believe it was, or Wednesday, um, in the Champions League, and all three Americans that played for PSV got the start there. So that's you've got Ricardo Pepe, you've got uh, Serginho Dest, and Tillman. I forget which which of the Tillman brothers it is. Uh, there's two of them. I know there's one that plays for LAFC. I'm trying to think of what his first name is. Tim. I know Tim. It's Malik Tim- Tillman. Yeah, Malik. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Tim- Timothy Tillman is his brother that plays for LAFC. I get them mixed up all the time. But yep. yeah, no, that was nice to see all three of them start start for PSV. And they drew against uh, Dortmund in the second leg of that, that UCL tie. So that was encouraging to see. Um, the last player I have, and I, I sort of tried to save the best for last, at least in my opinion, um, for our, our U.S. men's national team players abroad in Europe, is uh, Johnny Cardoso, who moved from Brazil to Real Batiste in La Liga. And he has been absolutely incredible for Real Batiste um, in in his first, I don't know, half a dozen games or so uh, since the January window transfer. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, like I said, he's, he's had an absolutely incredible start. I think only, yeah, six games. In those six games, he's had one goal, one assist, uh, just scored his first goal this past weekend for, for Real Batiste. But um, I, I like to refer to uh, footmob.com a lot for my, stats and and uh and and news and updates for for a lot of my u.s men's national team players but um 
uh, FootMob will give like a rating for every single player after every game, right? And he's averaged in his first six games a 7.8 FootMob rating, which is is just absolutely incredible for for a player moving to Europe, right? For his first time, like I I don't think anybody could have could have predicted that he would do so well. Yeah, I think he might be a dark horse candidate to work his way eventually into the starting 11 for the U.S. men's national team, which kind of seems crazy to think about. I think so many American soccer fans are set on the Musa McKenney Adams uh, trio in the midfield, but especially with Adams missing so much time of late due to injury, he hasn't even appeared yet for Bournemouth, or maybe he's he's had 20 minutes of of, of game time, something like that. Um, it'll be interesting to see if Cardoso can kind of work his way into the, some variation of that midfield. Yeah, and I, I think recently too with with the men's national team, they've sort of converted their midfield to sort of like a two holding um, or maybe maybe one six and one eight uh, with playing with an attacking midfielder. And Reyna has has filled in that that attacking midfielder role. Um, I think the past couple of friendlies that they've had, that's that's the system that they've played. But yeah, I, I like you said, I think. Um, so many, so many fans and so many uh, like pundits and everybody have, they've always talked about like Musa McKenny Adams, right? Those are the three that played in the world cup that have that midfield solidified. But yeah, like you said, I think Cardoso could, could definitely be a sneaky little sneaky little uh, tool that the U S can use going forward, whether it's in Copa America or into the world cup. And it's, it's always a great thing to have depth there too. Options are never a bad thing to have. I think, in past years, U.S. men's national team has had some solid players. Midfield has never necessarily been the strongest point when you look across the, the history of the team, but the, the midfield did play really well in the last World Cup. I remember against England, Weston McKennie had a fantastic game in that that Musa McKennie. Yeah. Adams trio honestly was the better of the two midfields between the nations. And right. adding players like Cardoso, who is only 22, he's still a relatively young player and getting his first opportunity in Europe. And then Gio Reyna as well, who has been struggling a little bit with injuries and finding form on the club side, but he is another player you often feel like you can't leave out of, yeah, and we, uh, out of the team. Yeah, we can touch on him a little bit. Um, I know yeah, we talked a little it. bit before recording, but it's it's an interesting move from, from Dortmund to Forest, right? And um, the Premier League is obviously the, the more competitive league, Right, and I don't. I don't think Forest is a necessarily bad side, right? I think right now they're they're hovering above relegation currently, and and um, he he made the move just recently. I think a little bit before deadline day, and like this this past January, and um, since then it has really struggled to. I, I don't actually. I don't think he started any games, right? I think he struggled to find minutes, and um, whether that's due to like you said, his injuries or or. Um, maybe just his form or his, his, the way that he trains, um, who knows, but I, I would love to see him maybe get like some minutes in, in a, like a cup game. If there's like, if they're still in the FA cup, I'm not sure, but, um, they, they are in the FA cup. They play yeah. Manchester United on Wednesday. That's right. So that would be, yeah. that would be an interesting one. I assume United will play a fairly strong team. Usually it seems like they do around this point, but again, I think it, it definitely is an opportunity at least for some squad rotation especially right. for a side like Norwich, or sorry, Nottingham Forest, rather. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if he gets some minutes. But you're right. he It's just a loan deal uh, from Dortmund to Forest. So I don't believe there's a buy clause either, which is interesting. I could be wrong, but I'm, I'm pretty certain there's no buy clause. That's he did interesting. Extend, he did extend his deal at Dortmund, so it could just be this short amount of time you'd think to get playing time. It hasn't really worked out so far, but... The hope I'd say from a U.S. men's national team fan perspective is that maybe Forrest is giving him time to acclimate with the group, get in, get comfortable in training, and then slowly increase the minutes from there. Who knows, he could also be dealing with a little bit of an injury given his history, so maybe they're working him in slowly. But fingers crossed, at least from a, a U.S. fan perspective, that he is going to start getting some increasing minutes and hopefully help Forrest stay up. And and they are, I think, four points clear of of the relegation zone, which given the three teams at the bottom feels like a little bit of a cushion, but at the same time, a win or two from a side below them could really turn around that situation and, and put them closer to danger. Right. No, definitely. Yeah. I know you mentioned the teams at the bottom. You've got, 
Sheffield and Burnley, who are both on like only 13 points through through 26 games, which is very, very, very poor performance uh, from from them. And then Luton as well, just below Nottingham. Um, but yeah, I, I would I would put my money on on Forest surviving relegation. I, I think if if Luton steal a win or two um, here and there, then maybe they can survive. But yeah, I think the three that are in the relegation zone right now, I think go down for sure. Yeah, that's that's what it looks like, especially with Everton got, I think, was it four points back yeah. from the original original 10 point deduction. Right. So it, it was a six point deduction instead of 10 points. And that moved them out of the relegation zone. And, and given their side and, and how they've been playing, it seems like they, they should be safe as well. Right. Let's uh, yeah. let's let's switch gears from EPL over to the championship. We'll make a couple points uh, from EFL championship play at the weekend. My team leads. Big win over Leicester, 3-1 at Ellen Road to tighten the race at the top of the championship. The gap between Leicester in first and Leeds in second is down from nine points to six. Nine straight league wins for Leeds after that one. Honestly, I don't think they really deserved the full three points from that that game. Leicester were the better side for most of it. They missed a ton of big chances. There was a disallowed goal that, upon review, probably should not have been disallowed. There's no VAR in the championship, so whatever the referee, uh, whatever call the referee makes on the field is what's going to stay. There was an offsides that the the referee gave, but it looked like on on replay that it it wasn't actually offsides. Should have been a good goal. Would have put Leicester two up late in the second half. Instead, it was it stayed at one nothing, and then Leeds scored three in like the last ten minutes or so to take it. Incredible atmosphere at Elland Road. It's one of the best stadium environments in England, but that's a big one for Leeds, and we'll see if they can and close the gap any further and uh, get within striking distance of Leicester to actually win the championship. Top two teams get promoted, so it should be a, a good uh, battle down the stretch between Leeds, Leicester, Ipswich, and then Southampton also knocking on the door there. Yeah, it's, it's kind of weird. Um having Leeds in the Premier League for a couple of years and then and then seeing them drop uh it, it's kind of sad almost right like as a as a Liverpool fan it's it's kind of sad not having Leeds in the in the Premier League you know like it feels like there's something missing you know with like the the history that Leeds has uh in the Premier League the past 20 plus years you know um but yeah it's shaping up to be a pretty good end of the end of the season I think um maybe Leicester pull it off you know I I think Leeds is how, how many games in a row in a row have Leeds won quite a few nine, right nine which especially in the championship where you play so many games and, right. and the competition so tight that's not usually the run of form that you see i think it's the most ever i think it's tied for the most ever league wins in a row in club history with nine so if they win the next one they play huddersfield at the weekend which is a is a very winnable one huddersfield are in 19th out of 24 so maybe set the record for most league wins in a row in club history. We'll see. That'd be crazy. Yeah. But and yeah, I course... think I, I tend to agree with you though. I think, I think Leicester should probably rebound and pull it out. Like I said, they were, I thought they were the better team. They got unlucky with some poor finishing and then the officiating as well kind of went against them in this right. one. Out of, out of the current team, say like, I don't know, between like Leeds, Ipswich, and then like fourth place through, let's say, like eighth or so um, you've got like Southampton, Norwich, a couple teams in there. Who would you say is, is most primed and ready to, to play in the, the premier league if they, if they notch that, that third place spot in playoffs. That's a tough one. I mean, you'd like to think one of the three that just was previously relegated. So Leicester leads Southampton, right? You'd think given the premier league money that they'd been taking in over the last few years, um, you'd think the three of them would be most primed to rebound and 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 make a, a little bit of a run in, in the EPL if they get promoted next year. But it's tough to say, man. I mean, it seems like there's a lot of yo-yoing these days. Oh, yeah. The gap is just so big between the the EPL and then the championship and really the bottom teams in the EPL and the, the top of the EPL. So I don't know. I mean, as a Leeds fan, I would love to think that they get up and then are able to stay up at least for a couple more years and make a good run at it. But it's, it's tough to say. Yeah. Yeah, man. Championship is uh it's a grind. I, I couldn't imagine being a, a fan of a championship team. I know a few, my, my oldest brother's a Swansea fan. Um, 
we've got uh, Coach Tom Boley here at the club at Midwest is is a Plymouth Argyle fan, and and yep. it's an exciting league. And I like I said, I just I couldn't I couldn't put myself through uh, being a being a fan of a championship team. It's a little tougher to find the the games on TV. I, you can stream them illegally. Like there's ways to find yeah. around that, and I'm sure there's there's different TV packages that might expand coverage a little bit, but. Usually it's ESPN Plus or Bust, at least in in whatever services that I have. So they don't put every game on on ESPN Plus either. It's like usually one per time slot, so like maybe two or three games per day. Luckily, when Leeds is playing like a Leicester, that's usually top billing because it is a top of the table for sure matchup. So they'll play, but there are a lot of games that that aren't on TV, and it's the high seas of illegal streaming if you're right. if you're interested in getting it that way. But I usually will just follow along afterwards and see, like, watch the highlights or whatever on YouTube. But sure. I think one more championship point, and then we can move on to, to some more d- domestic soccer. A guy that we could touch on as an American abroad who's, who's starting to have a good season, Josh Sargent. I believe he leads the championship in goals per 90. He was struggling a little bit with injuries, so he's missed missed a bunch of time, but if he was healthy for the full 34 game slate that we've had so far, I think he would be among the top total goal scorers for the season. So that's another guy that that could make an interesting case at, at being the starting number nine for Copa America and maybe even the world cup moving forward. If he can continue his form. Yeah. I, I think, and I just looking at his stats here too, 10 goals and one assist in 14 matches. Like, like you said, that's, that is, in in terms of goals per ninety, yeah, he's, he, like you said, he's top of the top of the league, and and his ability to finish in the box is great. He's he's got good size, um, and and he's still only twenty four. You know, like he'll be possibly reaching his prime around the time of the World Cup, and he already has that World Cup experience too with the U.S. Right, played with the U.S., um, started a couple games in the World Cup uh, last year. So, yeah, I think he's definitely one to look look at going forward. Cool. Well, that let's let's wrap up European soccer there. We'll switch gears a little bit. We'll touch on some international soccer and then MLS as well. Let's start in the women's international game. You have the CONCACAF W Gold Cup going on right now. The biggest headline coming out of that competition, the U.S. women's national team was upset by Mexico 2 to nothing in the last group stage game, which knocked the U.S. out of the tournament. First loss to Mexico for the women since 2010. What did you make of that one? it's it's tough um yeah it's just uh, i watching the game it, it i think we were unlucky at times and there were chances for both sides and it, both of the goals um for mexico were great goals right and and the u.s had their chances and, and couldn't put them away but just two absolute bangers for 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 mexico the first one chipped up and over the goalie who um is it nair is, is that the goalie i think who played for the u.s um but uh yeah came off her line and and was, was maybe a little bit uh, out of position and gets chipped pretty easily. But the second goal, just absolutely incredible. 30 yards out, 25, 30 yards out, curler, far post, into the side net. Just can't can't write it up any better for Mexico, at least. We're at an interesting point for them. It's a period of transition still. Obviously, the hiring of Emma Hayes, who is considered one of the, the better managers in the world in, in women's soccer, She's coaching Chelsea through the end of their season, so she's not set to take over until the summer. We currently have an interim manager in Twyla Kilgore. So you'd like to think that that there'll be some change with how the team is set up, with the tactics that are played as we move a little bit closer to the summer when Hayes is set to take over. But it's it's an interesting point in 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 really in the history of the women's game. There's so much more investment coming from all around the world. Spain were pretty dominant in the World Cup, and they've really been looking like the the nation at the top of the pyramid for the last couple of years. So it'll be interesting to see what the U.S. women's national team can do moving forward as the rest of the nations are starting to, for lack of a better term, catch up or at least rival the U.S. in terms of funding and investment and and infrastructure in the women's game so we'll see uh we'll see what happens with with that team moving forward yeah another note from the women's gold cup midwest united alum riley tanner had three appearances for panama great to see her getting some more international experience as she heads into the nwsl season with washington spirit which is set to kick off a little bit later in march so it's been fun watching her as well 
Yeah, I saw her in a couple of those games. Um, again, just watched the highlights for for that Panama team, but it, it seemed as if they were sort of on the back foot for uh, the three games that they had. And um, Riley, obviously, as a, as a winger, seeing her defend most of the game isn't isn't ideal, but you'd like to see her driving down that left wing with the ball. But um, yeah, she had her chances. You know, it's good to see her out there. The next competition for the U.S. women is in April when they kick off the She Believes Cup against Japan. So that's another one to look forward to. Let's move over to the men's domestic game here in the States, talk a little bit of MLS. This last weekend was MLS is back, which is what the league has coined the first opening weekend of play. What were some things that stuck out to you in, in the first week of MLS, Ben? I, something I do want to mention right off at the top that I think is really cool that um, Major League Soccer has just implemented this year is I, if, if you've watched some of the games, you might notice on their jerseys, uh, just above the, the Adidas logo, um, sort of on the right side of their jerseys, you'll see there's the word debut on on any of the players who make their MLS debut for the first time this this first week. Um, I, I don't know if you've read into that at all, John, if you know what that's for. Yeah, I've, I've seen that a little bit. Do you do you want to elaborate on it? Or yeah, or yeah, no, I do. Yeah, yeah no, I was asking you if you like had heard about it. So um, I don't know if our listeners are familiar with tops, uh, like player or sports cards, right? I'm, I'm not like a big card collector or anything, but I just thought this was a cool point to make. Um, after all of these jerseys are being used right this first week, every single one of those jerseys that has that little debut badge or sticker, if you will, um, will be then like cut up and, and used to, to create a tops soccer card, which I think is really cool. And it, you've got some pretty notable players making their debut in the MLS this week. You've got Hugo Lloris, you know, for, for LAFC and you've got um, Emil Forsberg for, for New York Red Bulls. So, yeah, I think that's a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool touch that they've added this year. I wonder for a young player, let's say a teenager making their first appearance, does that add a little bit of pressure when you have that debut patch on your chest? Like, <laughs> maybe imagine, imagine trotting out against like Leo Messi, and you're this 17 year old kid making your first MLS appearance. <laughs> you're trying not to, you know, think too much about the pressure, and then everybody can see like right on your chest you have. MLS debut patch, like yeah. you think that might like psychologically be a little bit of a target or like yeah. an indicator, like, Hey, maybe I can rattle this kid a little yeah, bit. Absolutely. No, I think, game. I think in any other league in the world, like if, if that were the Bundesliga or premier league, I think that's just a target to say, Hey, give me like a, a, a two foot tackle right to the ankles, you know? So I, <laughs> that's a good point. That's funny. Yeah. I, I don't necessarily see something like that ever flying in Europe, but this was a point I made on on the last episode of the pod that I did talking a little bit about why she, people should give MLS a chance this year, maybe check it out. It is run a lot more like an American sports league. I, I think I heard that major league baseball or the NBA or the NFL, one of the big leagues also was doing this tops debut patch as well. So it definitely has a little bit more of an American sports twist to it, which I'm, I'm personally fine with. I think it's okay to have some, different quirks about the league and MLS has always been known for its sure. quirks. So I think it's, a, I think it's a cool thing. We'll see if they keep doing it and if it takes off, but I'm sure trading card collectors, especially if they're soccer fans are going to be all over that. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, I'm not much of a card collector, but that, that might actually get me into it, you know, pulling a, pulling a one of one Hugo Uris Jersey match day worn card. That'd be pretty cool. You know? Yeah. Yeah. What else, what else did you see uh, around MLS this weekend? Yeah, so I guess we can get into the results a little bit. Um, yeah. I, I think I always enjoy watching Major League Soccer, and I know you last week sort of touched upon uh, sort of the growth of the league. And I I always I, I don't personally have a, a Major League Soccer team that I support, but I enjoy watching the home team win, to be honest. Watch, watching fans pack out the stadiums, um, whether it's 60-plus thousand fans in, in, uh, Carolina, um, for, for, uh, North Carolina, uh, or, or Atlanta United at the Mercedes Benz stadium. I, I enjoy watching the home team win, watching, uh, fans enjoy having a good time. And I think that's really, what's going to grow the sport. Right. But, um, yeah, I think some notable wins, you've got Columbus crew who, uh, obviously Midwest United is affiliated with, right. Taking home three points against Atlanta United, um, Cucho scoring again, uh, and, and, it's interesting for me, I think, at, at the start of that game, I actually caught the start of that game watching it live. Um, just looking at Atlanta United's uh, starting 11, right? I, I think when I think of Atlanta United, I always think about their 
their heyday, you could say, right? The first one or two years of their existence that they really took off, right? They were, they were an expansion side that took off. And I think in their second year, won it all, won MLS cup with some notable, notable, uh, players like Miguel Miron and, and Joseph Martinez and, and the like. But um, yeah, I, I, it's crazy to think how much they've dropped off, right? I think uh, they've maybe got two or three of the same players from that from that MLS Cup winning side. I think Brad Guzan is still there. Brad Guzan saves a penalty in that game, um, which somehow meant that that man still, still is somehow involved in that team, which it just blows my mind that he's still around. Um, he's, he's ageless. Yeah, I mean and saves a penalty like are you kidding me like it, that just blew my mind i i did not think that that would happen when when they stepped up to the to the penalty spot but yeah i think that's that's um a notable game like i said with columbus crew being uh, affiliated with midwest united i think that's that's fun to watch and of course them being the 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 title holders right they won it all last year so and they they play a really aesthetically pleasing style of soccer as well mls at least for a number of years probably the last at least five years or so has really kind of favored the teams that sit in and play direct and counter. Think your Red Bull style, right? but crew do like to put the ball on the ground and they like to keep it and they like to build out of the back, which is, which is cool to see a, a, a team in the league having success with. And yeah. Like you mentioned, Atlanta's roster is quite a bit different than it, than it was in those glory days that you, that you mentioned, but they do have a lot of talent. Tiago Amada is, one of the hot young names in MLS and potentially in, in the European market as well. It'll be interesting to see if they can keep him around for the entire season or if, if he'll command a big transfer fee to La Liga or, or a similar European league in the summer. And then Yakamakis as well, the uh, Greek number nine, is potentially a golden boot winner this year. So definitely a good win for crew against a strong team. For sure. La last name to mention too, I want to throw it out there, who I've been a fan of for 10 plus years, who's been around at Major League Soccer for a long time, and also who is a part of that Atlanta United uh, title winning squad is, is Darlington Nagby, who's now a player for the Columbus crew, who's been such an instrumental piece to their to their MLS winning cup side last year. Um, and also, like you mentioned, that, that the style of play that they play now with, they keep the ball on the ground, they like to move it back and forth. Um, he, he's a he's a major piece in that in that team. And um, is also another one of those ageist players who's just been around Major League Soccer for a long time. I think started with the Timbers. Um, I think collegiately played for Akron, I believe. Um, he was drafted by the Timbers, then played with them for a long time and made his made his name known with them. Then got that move to Atlanta United, was a part of that, that squad um, that won it all, and then won it all with Columbus. So pretty much wherever he goes, it seems he... He's winning it all, and maybe even won it all with Portland back in the day too. I'm not sure. You could be right. Well, you, yeah. you mentioned you mentioned Portland Timbers as well. They looked they looked really good in their first yeah. first match against Colorado. Oh my gosh, yeah, and and sort of against the the narrative, I think. I think um, Colorado Rapids. You look at like a lot of the moves that they made this past transfer window, bringing in a lot of um, a lot of lot of players with men's national team uh, appearances, right? That have men's national team and, and international ex experience with like uh, the likes of Zach Steffen and, and Sam Vines, uh, which is George Mihailovich, which is rare for Colorado. If if anybody's familiar with their situation, right. their fans are <laughs> always upset that their ownership group, who also owns Man uh, Arsenal, is never really prioritizing. Colorado Rapids. Yes. And they own like something stupid, like 12 sports franchises. If you, if you look into it, I yeah. think they even have professional lacrosse. So Rapids fans were always not very happy with that group thinking that they were the bottom of the totem pole and they probably were, they never usually made big splashy signings, but they, they did this, this off season, they brought in some big names, like you mentioned. Right. And I, I was really looking forward to this game. I think, um, the Timbers, I, I wasn't very excited. I, I shouldn't say I wasn't excited about them. I was sort of excited about them last year um, with some of the signings they made last year. But this year, I mean, it's a similar side. And I think they brought in one or two players that to, to strengthen the side and strengthen their attack. But um, they really came out hot. They looked very good, right? Um, yeah, you've got, I mean, like we mentioned, Sam Vines uh, being signed by the Colorado Rapids, unfortunately has an own goal, right? Um Zach Steffen in net in between the sticks uh, concedes four goals, which I don't think anybody was expecting. 
uh, and his return to, to major league soccer. But um, Anthony is, is a big player for, for the Portland Timbers. And he really stood out to me scoring two goals in that game against Colorado and, and um, what's their stadium. Why can't, why am I blanking on their state? Providence park, Providence park was popping off. It was, it was As it usually a party is. in Portland. Yeah. I need to go. That's, that's one that's definitely on my list. There's a lot of MLS stadiums that I've added to my list that I need to see. I would consider myself a Chicago fire fan above, above most teams. I lived in Chicago for a bit, so I was kind of able to adopt them as my second home team. That's Born fair. and raised in Metro Detroit. We don't have an MLS team. We right. have Detroit City FC playing in the USL Championship, but I've always been an MLS fan, so I've been hoping, praying, begging somebody to take a leap and bring a team to Detroit. Right. I would be all over that. But living in Chicago, I was able to have a team for a brief time. Yeah, the the, the fire stadium situation isn't great. Watching games at Soldier Field is never never the most fun thing. But they they looked a little bit better this weekend. They had some debut players as well. They brought in Kellen Acosta. They brought in Hugo Kuypers from, I believe he was playing in Belgium. He's a number nine. And then Brian Gutierrez is a, another young American player to, to watch for USMNT fans. He's, I believe, just turned 20. He scored a banger for the fire this past weekend against yeah. Philly Union. So... Yeah, comparing to comparing to Soldier Field to Providence Park is is not right. a fun comparison <laughs> at times, but yeah, that was a, I, a long tangent I, to say for that. For sure, no, I think I think that's a whole conversation to have. I've I've had this conversation with um, with a lot of people talking about uh, sort of the fan culture, right, in in Major League Soccer and how that's come a long way. It's come a massive uh, massive gap, I guess, that's been bridged between Major League Soccer and the rest of the world, where where you've got clubs like you mentioned last week in your podcast last week, right? That there are clubs right in, in England that have been around since the 1800s, right? And in, in the short amount of time that um, some of these major league soccer teams have been around since the nineties or, or 2000s or whatnot, um, the amount of culture and, and the amount of fans and growth that there's been um, into the league has, has been great. And that's, that's just one more point on that. That's one, I guess, benefit that, MLS being young has is is the stadium development. Now that it, it is a, a requirement to play in a soccer specific stadium for expansion teams, I believe, or they're maybe they, it's not a requirement, but they strongly push for expansion groups to yeah. play in soccer specific stadiums. Some of the stadiums that they're building are absolutely incredible. Yeah, Columbus Crew new stadium, uh, TQL Stadium, Cincinnati, uh, Q2 Stadium in Austin. Are just yeah. yep, brand new state of the art facilities that are tailor made to watch soccer and to experience soccer, and they're a little bit smaller than than your typical NFL stadium that might seat 60, 70, 80,000. They're closer to 20, 30, maybe 40,000 on the high end, which is nice to, to make the environment feel a little bit more closed in and filled up. So, that's something that a lot of the European clubs honestly don't really have the luxury of building brand new stadiums just because one there's less space to do it and their stadiums that have already been built and that they've played in or have been around for so long so it's i think a little bit more of a project to develop an entire new stadium unless you get lucky like tottenham did a couple of years ago when they built their stadium so there are just a, a, a ton of incredible places to watch mls here in the states yeah absolutely that's a great point. Yeah, I think um, I, you mentioned it, whether or not it's a requirement. I think for expansion sides, it's. I, I think the requirement is that you have to have um, like the plans at least for a stadium. I know like Miami right. is uh, building their stadium. I think one that's flown under the radar a lot is NYCFC building a new stadium right next to um, the the New York Mets stadium. I think that's one that will be exciting and we'll draw a lot of fans to um, finally after like yeah. what, 10 years or something right after after winning their own mls cup a couple years ago right you they'll they'll be able to fly a banner in their own soccer specific stadium instead of a baseball park right so yeah, playing in a baseball park is a crime <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i don't know how they've gotten away with that for the past five plus years five, and you mentioned you mentioned miami who are obviously planning a something like billion dollar absolute insanely nice multi-use complex down in Miami versus right now they're playing in a 
I think they popped up that stadium. I think they built it for Miami as a temporary stadium, if I'm wrong, or they renovated a ground that was there for, for them to use while I they're building so. the new one. Right. And it's like 18 or 20,000 seater and you've right. got the best player in the world playing in this <laughs> yeah. like half constructed temporary stadium, which is crazy. But let's let's jump off of stadiums and talk about Inter Miami quickly before we wrap things up here. They opened MLS play, which was probably inevitable to have Messi playing in the the season opening kickoff game. I'm sure that wasn't planned or anything. But they played RSL on Wednesday, and then they they had them play a second time in match week one on Sunday night against LA Galaxy. They won the first one against RSL, two nothing. And then they scraped a tie one to one against the Galaxy. I might do an I might do a full episode just to talk a little bit about some MLS overreactions or predictions from the first week. But I'm a little bit worried about Miami, to be honest. I yeah. don't know if you had similar thoughts watching watching some of their game against Galaxy, but I thought they were looking a little bit old, which is fair with Busquets and Messi and Suarez and Alba all in their mid thirties. But I'm concerned about them in the long run. I don't think necessarily that they're going to win Supporters Shield and run away with the league like everyone was expecting. I think it would be not too much of a stretch to imagine that they'll finish something like second, third, fourth in the league, get a decent playoff spot, and then make sure all of their guys are healthy and try to go after MLS Cup at the end. Yeah, I, I think... I think we're on the same page. I also think they will probably grab a, a playoff spot, right, in the Eastern Conference. But, um, yeah, no, I agree. I, I think with the amount of age and experience that they have, I think there's pros and cons, right? They they have some other pieces to this team. Um, Campania, they've got uh, Drake Callender in goal, who's, who's incredible against the Galaxy. He was fantastic. Um, yeah, it was great. And and I was also uh, made an appearance for the men's national team, I believe. Um but yeah, there, there's some other pieces and, and Benjamin Kromeshke and, and I, I think there's a difficult balance to find between having all of it. And this goes for any other MLS club too, right? If you've got like uh, Jordan Shakiri playing for the, for the fire or um, just, just any big name player coming in from Europe, it's difficult to balance um, getting the most out of them while also surrounding them with players that are young and, and hitting their prime or even, um, some young players like Kromeshki or, or uh, yeah, but I, like you said, I, I, I don't think they'll light up the league, right. With, with the players that they have, I think that's going to maybe uh, ruffle some feathers with say some uh, fans, whether it's in, in Miami or some European fans, even watching from overseas. But yeah, I think, I think they'll finish mid, mid to upper table in the Eastern conference and, um, I, I think it'll be fun to watch them in the playoffs later in the season and, and uh, see how they do with the players that they have that have that, that experience playing in big games. And that might carry them, you know, that might carry them farther in MLS Cup. So, Which it, it, I think it does end up coming down to what the ownership group and, and what Tata, Tata Martino and honestly even what Messi values most. I would think it's MLS Cup because – in, at least in this league, the supporter shield is a trophy, but it's not really the one that the league prioritizes or even right. supporters groups necessarily prioritize. So I wouldn't be shocked if if Miami kind of coasts into the playoffs, like you said, upper half of the table, and then really focuses on getting keeping their guys healthy, especially when you have Messi, Busquets, Alba, Suarez, who are a little bit older. You don't want to get see them get hurt chasing this just chasing the supporter shield just to say that you were the the top regular season sure. team in the league. And that, yeah, like you mentioned, you've got players like Kramoski and Farias who are young and, and David Ruiz who can play in the midfield and, and sort of help. I know Kramoski is hurt right now, so it might be premature to pass judgment without some of those younger guys being fit and ready. But honestly, against Galaxy, I was a lot more impressed with with Los Angeles in that one, I thought guys like Ricky Pooch were fantastic in the midfield. I saw Miami getting a little bit leggy and tired towards the end of the game. And I think if Galaxy weren't wasteful, they honestly should have won that one three, four, nothing, maybe four to one. Messi obviously is hard to stop for a former right. Andy. <laughs> and his partnership with Alba is 
just otherworldly. Just unmatched, right. A little right. two-man ball to to get that game-time goal, and honestly, it felt like they were going to pull out a winner as well. But Galaxy have a lot of young talent. Um, they added Payne still as well, who came over from, I believe it was playing in Belgium. Um, he looks really, really strong, and he's going to be dangerous threat. So, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting. Yeah, and I think there's there's also a case to be made to, to talk about the travel. You know, I know there's a lot of travel in, in that in yeah. the Major League Soccer, you know, and they played a game last week, right? So this is their second game of the season. But, no, I agree. I think, yeah, LA Galaxy looked good. Um, and and I, I don't think – I wasn't really high – I'm not really high on, on the Galaxy going into the season. I think, they like you said, they've got Ricky Pooge and um, – They've got the new winger and and just looking at their lineup right now with Dave, David Fagundes, who's been around for a long time in Major League Soccer. Um, so they have some of those pieces there, but I, I mean, I really wasn't expecting this result. I, I honestly thought Miami would would walk away with three points, but they were they were honestly lucky to have one, right? Yeah, you mentioned it earlier. Calendar was was fantastic. Pooch had a a few shots at goal. I think in the first half, one of them. It was a corner kick, I believe, that was recycled, and he it popped to him at the top of the box. He struck it towards the top corner, and Calendar kind of came out of nowhere to to save it. So, yeah, I mean, having a strong goalkeeper, I think, is is big in any league, and especially for a team like Miami that isn't necessarily as stacked at the back as they are towards the attacking end of the field. I think if if Calendar can be big for them throughout the entire season. I know he showed flashes of that last year, especially in League's Cup, he was huge. But if he can really solidify himself as one of the best goalkeepers in the league, that is also going to be a huge thing for them as they try to make a, a push for some trophies. Yeah, for sure. Well, we were, we covered a ton today. I think this is, this is definitely a type of episode we'll love to do more of moving forward for as sure. we continue through the MLS season and then as the European seasons really come down to the wire with you know, the hunt for trophies with the promotion and relegation spots getting more and more solidified. So we uh, will have a lot of great things to talk about in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. It's been, it's been a lot of fun doing this. Awesome. And we'll have you on again on Thursday for that Liverpool Chelsea Carabao oh, yeah. cup breakdown <laughs> with Cam Baker. I know Cam's going to be hard at work prepping his notes. He's always well prepared <laughs> and he's a big X's and O's guy. So I'm excited to see what you guys come up with for that one. Yeah, that'll be a good one. So tune in. Awesome. Well, this has been another episode of the West Michigan Soccer Show presented by Midwest United FC. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to like, subscribe, and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Also, find our social media pages. We're over on Instagram, Twitter X, and Facebook. Give us a like or a follow there as well. And we will see you next time. See ya.